to me could have quite a lot of difficulty in stopping uh, the yuan from rising further because it's a high-yielding currency by global standards. So foreigners seem to want to buy yuan assets at the moment. They've been pouring into stocks. Uh, bond yields look very, very attractive as well. They're going to have a bit of a problem, aren't they, stopping, stopping the yuan and stopping foreigners coming into it. I, you know, I think I think they will in, until there is a strong competing growth story somewhere else. I mean, I think everybody's also looking at the U.S. right now, and in the U.S., um, you know, we're seeing a massive economic recovery right now. Consumers are definitely getting out and spending, so that's going to drive a lot of growth uh, over on the other side of the ocean. On the other hand, the U.S. has been, you know, printing currency like it's going out of style, so. Um, there's a lot of inflationary pressure there. So, I, you know, I, I don't really know what that means. I think you're right. In the, in the near term, there, there's going to be continued interest in, in Chinese assets, Chinese stocks, and so you're going to see continued inflows of capital. Um, but I'd say, you know, be looking at what's happening in the U.S. markets as well because that might change the story at least a little bit. Okay. Well, thanks very much for that, Ben. That's good to talk to you. Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around Asian stock markets this morning, the ASX 200 in Australia is up about a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is slipping. That's off about a third of a percent. The Cosby also off about 0.2 percent. Futures markets indicating around about a 50-point gain for the Hang Seng, which... Uh, when trading gets going this morning. Gold is at $1,904 an ounce. Brent crude oil is at $68.82 a barrel. Thank you very much for listening. Join me again, please, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. After the news, the weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. It'll be hot during the day, uh, maximum temperature of around 32 degrees, and then there will be occasional heavy showers and thunderstorms tomorrow, which will ease off on Wednesday and Thursday. It's 30 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. It's 8.32, Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. Police in the Indian capital, Delhi, have arrested more than 350 suspected frauders for se- fraudsters for selling fake medical supplies to COVID patients. Having opened hundreds of investigations, police found families fell victim to con men offering counterfeit drugs and oxygen on social media. A senior officer, Pren Nutt, said the offences were a new low. You can consider this as a crime against humanity. People are suffering. They are asking you to deliver something to save their life and you are cheating them. It's uh, very painful to see this situation. President Biden says he'll press Vladimir Putin to respect human rights when he meets the Russian leader in Switzerland next month. The U.S. president was speaking in his hometown of Wilmington, Delaware, at a Memorial Day service. We're unique in the world. I'll be meeting with President Putin in a couple of weeks in Geneva, making it clear that we will not, we will not, Stand by and let him abuse those rights. Confirming the two leaders' first meeting since Mr Biden won office, the White House has previously said the president would raise a range of pressing issues, including the situations in Belarus and Ukraine. Moscow has said regional and strategic stability and problems such as the pandemic will be addressed. 
The far-right nationalist Israeli politician Naftali Bennett says he'll work with all his might towards forming a new unity government, something that would end Benjamin Netanyahu's 12 years as prime minister. Mr Bennett threw his support behind the centrist Yair Lapid, who has until Wednesday to form a government. Mr Netanyahu responded immediately, saying a Lapid-Bennett government would weaken Israel. Don't form a left-wing government. Such a government is a danger to Israel's security and future. Think about it. What will it do for Israel's deterrence? How will we look in the eyes of our enemies? What will they say in Iran? What will they say in Gaza? What will they do in Iran and in Gaza? What will they say in the halls of government in Washington? You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, what's next after the electoral changes and corporate governance? Legislative Council passed the Electoral Reform Bill on May the 27th to implement Beijing's overhaul of the way Hong Kong chooses its lawmakers. It was passed by a margin of 40 to 2 with no abstentions. The bill is expected to be published in the Gazette and come into effect today. So what's next after these electoral changes? Will LegCo become more or less meaningful? How will it be held accountable? How do you feel about the changes? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. Our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. You can call us on 233-88266. And after 9.15, we're going to be discussing corporate governance, how to build a culture of good conduct. Uh, just before we get to uh, the first topic, uh, a few uh, a taster from our uh, email bag. Um, Phil B says uh, on vaccine initiatives I must applaud Sino for their generous incentives demonstrating leadership and goodwill to the residents of Hong Kong to get vaccinated let's hope that other major players such as HSBC, Sun and Gay, Swire uh, Chung Kong Holdings and New World to name a few can also step up and demonstrate their own goodwill uh, Leslie Ann says, Dear Backchat, it's ridiculous that the government are citing the, the COVID-19 situation to not allow the June the 4th candlelight vigil to go ahead. It's even more ridiculous when today's South China Morning Post, Yun Kwok Yung, is quoted as saying, after reviewing all the data, we believe the fourth wave has come to an end. Uh, he also believes that vaccinated people should be allowed to carry on with normal life as much as possible, which I assume means no mask wearing and drastic reduction of quarantine. If that's the case, and I suggest the police force simply allow the march to continue as long as all participants can show they have had at least one COVID vaccine. That way we can promote more of the public to take the jab, everyone can feel safe and the vigil can then proceed. That's from uh, Leslie Ann. Mary says, uh, in another rambling and long-winded letter to Hong Kong yesterday, Anna Zeman states, quote, this started with the social movement two years ago when many people took to the streets to air their political grievances and tried to destroy the city, unquote. This is inferring that the many hundreds of thousands of peaceful and law-abiding citizens who took part in the rallies to protest mismanagement of the city and the introduction of legislation that would have a negative impact on our civic rights were engaged in criminal activities. He also says, quote, I'm happy to see the change in the electoral system. The government, the Hong Kong government will now be able to speed up solving these deep-seated acute problems such as the housing issue and land shortage, unquote. Zeman is yet another willing participant in the rewriting of Hong Kong history. Many of those now locked up, uh, legislative and district councillors, were actively engaged in resolving those issues. All along, it's been the pro-establishment vested interests supported by political parties like the DAB, FTU, New People's Party, Liberals, and most of all, the Business and Professionals Alliance that includes the representative of the property developers and the Hongi Cook, 
that have stood in the way of reform with regard to land use. Instead of resisting the pressure, government officials have accommodated their machinations. The admirable Chu Hoi Dick garnered a record 84,000 votes from residents of New Territories West in 2016 for having the balls to stand up and represent them against the pervasive influence of the Hongi Cook and the stifling impact it's had on developing affordable homes for all in the district. But instead of removing the vested interest, those who spoke up for the community have been excised and even more obstacles to progress and an equitable society are to be introduced. Luckily, with the explosion in communications, rewriting history is no longer an easy task. People know what the reality was and will not allow mouthpieces like Zeman to take control of the narrative. As for his claim, quote, because we are Chinese after all, unquote, take a good look in the mirror, Alan. You are not and never will be Chinese. Citizenship and race are two distinct characters. While we can choose the former, the latter is embedded in our DNA. Brown nosing cannot alter the genes. That comes from Mary. Backchat.rthk.hk is our email address. Joining us now, we have uh, Dr. Eugene Chan, who is president of the Association of uh, Hong Kong Professionals in our, in our central studio. Uh, John Burns is with us, Emeritus Professor, Honorary Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And we hope to be joined shortly by uh, Regina Ip, lawmaker, executive councillor, and chairwoman of the New People's Party. Once again, our email is backchat.rthk. .hk. Uh, Professor Burns, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. We've, we've spoken to you a, a number of times on these electoral changes. I, uh, the, uh, the question today is, is really what, what happens next. Uh, what, what impact will this have uh, on the uh, operation uh, of the uh, Legislative Council? How is it going to work uh, once all these uh, uh, changes are put in, in place? And, and, and what are the prospects? Um, we'll be looking ahead a little bit now. This won't really come into effect until uh, next year. But uh, what is it actually going to make a difference to the political life of Hong Kong? Well, I think it's too early to say whether it will. We have to see um, what happens in the, you know, the formation of the uh, election committee and also Let's Go. But there are a couple possible futures. One is that Let's Go simply becomes the executive-led uh, handmaiden of the government. Everything passes smoothly. And as C.Y. Leung said when he was in the 1997 provisional LegCo, the duty of LegCo members should be to listen politely, ask a few questions, and vote to pass. But LegCo, I mean, if we're talking about a meaningful LegCo, LegCo needs to hold the government to account. I mean, this is in the, written in the basic law. And as we can see, our political accountability system has been degraded. It's been eroded, I would say. Consider SARS-1 in 2003-2004. I mean, the, the C.H. Tong and the LegCo were able to produce excellent reforms that better prepared us for now. Move forward to today. And you can see the government has not been held to account for the 2019 chaos that it instigated, nor for the behavior of the police. And so we see the accountability system is basically, you know, we, the government, we decide if we will be accountable, when we will be accountable, and how to be accountable to the government. For me, the real issue here is about citizenship. Citizenship demands that we are full participa participants in the life of the country. And 
when somebody becomes a political leader, let's, let's see it. It's a voluntary occupation. People choose to do it, mostly people with enormous egos. But when they do it, they have an obligation to citizens, to keep them informed, to make them full partners in this, remembering that whatever we have is co-produced by citizens and by um, politicians. So this, you know, the citizen part of the the changes to LegCo has been drastically reduced. So I'm unable to say whether the accountability mechanism that we used to have will you know, be, will reemerge. Of course, there's other parts of it, like the media and civil society, but LegCo could play a big role. Okay, also with us, as I say, now is uh, Regina Yep, uh, Mrs. Yep, member of the Executive Council. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for, for joining us. Do you share those concerns about accountability? How will accountability work in the future Legislative Council? We are all accountable to our voters, whether in geographical or functional constituencies. So people, will, our voters will give us a report card every four years. We could lose our job every four years. So that's a very high accountability requirement. In fact, uh, the same with the um, um, election committee. Uh, in fact, I, uh, my understanding is before every legislative council election, the election committee will be re-elected, you know, because they have asymmetrical terms. The EC committee term at five years, LegCo four years. So I think they need to be re-elected before every LegCo election. So they have a lot to account for. But Regina, good morning. The, good morning. I, I think we all understand clearly the, the 20 people being elected by the 10 geographic constituencies. They, they're presenting themselves to all the voters of Hong Kong. I think it's, it's more problematic looking at the 30 uh, in the uh, functional constituencies because there's still corporate voting uh, there and there's 40 on top. Um, it, it's unclear to a lot of people how, how they're going to be selected, elected, and how they're going to be accountable at all. I mean, the, in a lot of these functional constituencies, some of them will be ex-officio, like uh, in the legal con- sector, members of the basic law committee. Well, they are, by definition, highly esteemed, very senior lawyers, you know, with very high standing in the profession. And then there will be nominated ones, and there will be 15 seats for election, you know, um, Seven of the, in fact, nine of the functional constituencies will be open to election by individuals, including legal, accountancy, uh, medical and health, uh, and uh, uh, estate surveyors, engineers, and all that. It sounds so like I 21 won't be. That they will be. They will be. These with uh, uh, seats reserved for individual voters. I think they will. Re- people will elect many who have different views of government. Right, and the forty at the top. Forty at the top. The election committee. You are talking about the election committee. Yes. Well, I have no idea. I have openly recommended that we should use that channel 
to elect people who are better informed, better educated, who can represent Hong Kong better. I think it could function like an upper house, you know, from experience. Geographical members tend to look after the districts, root up for the districts. Functional members tend to, uh, tend to speak for functional interests. For example, transport representatives objecting to Uber, objecting to premium taxi in order to protect the taxi trade. If you have 40 elected, other than for these routes, we could have people more mindful of the overall and long-term interests of Hong Kong. Um, the, like an upper house in Lechko. Okay, there's a question about about um, you know how people will get into Lechko. Anybody will get into Lechko at all, and, and the candidate eligibility review committee that's going to be uh, appointed by the the chief executive. So you have this organisation that is supposed to be uh, holding the chief executive to account, but they're all being appointed. They're all being screened by the chief executive. The, the, obviously, there's a conflict of interest, isn't there? Because if they're too efficient at holding the chief executive to account, then the chief executive won't allow them to stand. That's the well, uh, we, obvious uh, contradiction. We spotted this um, problem. So uh, the government agreed to appoint a few independent persons to provide the necessary oversight and balance. Uh, sorry, how many? So the, but the, but the, the members will still remember. the members will still the members will still be appointed by the chief executive. Yes, but there will be independent persons well, who will have an idea <laughs> of what's going on. Well, the, you say they're independent, but they're appointed by the chief executive. But they have to be credible. You know, very, but, I believe by who? Be very but, senior. But people. this is exactly the point. Who says that they have to be credible? Credible to who? Well, I think the CE will probably consult the central government who have oversight on how the elections are, will be held, will, will take place. I think they will, they will probably be very senior, non-politically affiliated individuals trusted by Beijing who can keep an eye on what's happening. So they have to be credible to Beijing? Um, they have to be trusted by Beijing, and I hope they'll be credible to Hong Kong people, to very senior disinterested but there's no, people. But there's no mechanism for that, that involves that, is there? There's only the chief executive choosing the people who are there to oversee the chief executive. If it doesn't work well, we could review in a few years' time. Well, you could not put it into law in the first place. The law only specifies the number. And the policy spells out the requirement for independence, credibility, and all that. The, the, the requirement is that the chief executive appoints those persons. Well, she is the highest authority of the land, you know. Well, this bit of the, the chief executive <laughs> makes a lot of appointments. Most of them have, have not raised any credibility problem. It, it does, and, Regina. We can wriggle around this all day, but, but you know she's this. appointing the people who are going to mark her, isn't she? Pardon? She's appointing the people who are going to mark her performance. Uh, yes, I said so in Lechko's, and I said I'm glad that there will be some independent person. Yeah. Well, that's the definition of non-accountability, isn't it? <laughs> but that is not the only test of the chief executive eligibility for office. I, I, I'm pretty certain if she, he, whoever chief executive wants to run the game... No, no we're, talking about, we're talking about the Legislative no Council problem. now. Sorry, we're talking about... Mm? That, that, yeah, that applies to chief executive, but we're talking now about the Legislative Council. Mm. 
uh, this this uh, this uh, committee vetting uh, all members, in fact, district councillors too. They were appointed. No, we're talking about the candidate eligibility review committee, that, the composition of that committee. That this is before even people get a, get a chance to stand. They have to be approved by this committee, which is yes. which is which will be chaired by the chief executive or representatives of the chief executive, appointees of the chief executive. Well, the, this is not a new mechanism. In the past, candidates have to be, you know, um, uh, screened by returning officers. You know, let candidates have to go through questioning by returning officers who are really quite junior district officers, you know. And I think this is an improvement because we, we will be, uh, in the past practice, really put too much pressure on individual officers and they were subjected to a lot of uh, threats, abuse and all that. Mm. It's better to put this power in the hands of a committee. Okay. Well, also joining us today is Dr. Eugene Chan, President of the Association of Hong Kong Professionals. Uh, good morning, Eugene. Good morning, Mike. What, what's your take on all this? Personally, <clears throat> I've, I've nothing to worry. I think there's nothing to worry. Because in my past, as in my public service experiences, uh, beef, uh, uh, for the last 20 odd years, we are always appointed by the chief executive. In all the committees in the, in the um, advisory and statutory bodies I've, I've served, I think every individual is an individual. If you, if you select the right person, they always speak their mind. The problems we have is we don't have enough muscle to put things to happen. So with all these changes, I'm, I'm sure Regina will agree that we are looking for a better Hong Kong. If you look at... So, so you're saying that this amounts to the chief executive choosing legislators? No, no. I didn't say that they, she's choosing legislators. There are, there are different ways of becoming a legislator in, in the next term, and there are different mechanisms. And I'm, I am very positive because if you've been through what we've been through the last 20 odd years, what I can say to you is most professionals, they don't care about the political system. They all want a good life, a, 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 a career for themselves and their children, education. We all have a home to leave. This is all we are most interested, I'm sure, for most professionals. If you look at Hong Kong, we're way behind. In, I mean, I'm in the healthcare sector. In the past, um, we are always way ahead of neighboring countries or even our mainland colleagues. But look at now, we are hardware-wise, we, we have no niche, we have no advantages, and they are getting better. Hong Kong is losing its edge, so we must move on rather than staying on all these among the issues. When you talk about the word accountable, as Mrs. Yip has just said, I fully agree that the electors, that, I mean the voters, will, will do their job when time comes again. So I'm not worried at all. Do you, so you see these changes as an improvement? Um, I would say it's, it is a development of Hong Kong's de um, democratic system over the last 20 odd years. This is what the end result. Um, I'm sure we have many theories, but if you look at um, what has happened in the last few years, certainly it is not working. Right. <laughs> Uh, Regina, uh, John Burns has previously said that this is an indication that these changes are an indication that uh, Beijing doesn't trust the people of Hong Kong. Uh, do you see it like that? Mrs Yip? There are many changes, electoral changes taking place around the world. You may have read, you know, many states in America, Texas, Georgia, they're also changing the electoral rules. You know? reduce polling hours, you know, 
uh, reduced number of polling stations, making it harder for minorities to vote. Are you saying they distrust the people? Well, I'm not talking about America. I, I'm, I'm talking about this situation in Hong Kong. You, My general point is all systems should be subject to review from time to time. They should, but oh, I mean, uh, anyone looking at America would think all of those changes you've just listed, and I, I tried to follow them as well, are all retrogressive steps. They're taking voting rights away from people. Uh, for example, banning Sunday voting because lots of, uh, uh, especially uh, blacks in America, they go to church on the Sunday and then the, the priest will lead them on to the voting station after. And well, by scrapping we that. Good, we have good reasons to, to take a deep look at our system and do an overhaul. Look at what happened in the past two years. The events were of 2019. There were nothing short of an insurgency. And right. then there were, power, there were plans to seize power and force out the chief executive. So we really need a return, a system which will provide a greater dose of stability and good sense and efficiency in the Legislative Council. But do you agree with the point about the trust, that the, the direct representation is being reduced because, uh, because Beijing doesn't trust the people of Hong Kong, is not confident that the people of Hong Kong will return a legislative council, given the choice, that meets their requirements? The, the people of Hong Kong, it's greatly unfortunate, you know, uh, with more democratic participation, the reality is our society has become more and more polarized and more and more anti-China and, in fact, low information, you know, um, just grandstanding candidates have been elected. But does it make sense to? Does it make sense to? If that was, but if that was the case, to, hmm. we are also looking to participation of higher quality individuals. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, if that is the case, is the answer to reduce the representation, reduce the represent representativeness? Does that make sense? Well, we are looking for greater quality, higher quality representation. And mass participation is not the only yardstick uh, to measure the success of a political system. But many okay. people say acceptability to the wider community is fundamental. It, it's, a, it's a conversation, isn't it? A permanent conversation between the people and the government. And um, I think that will continue to take place. You know, we will continue to be watchdogs on the government's performance. Those of us who plan to run in the geographical constituencies, we will have to keep in touch with the government. Some of us will continue to be a thorn in the side of whoever is the chief executive. Professor Burns, do you accept the point about stability, that maybe there's, maybe there's a trade-off, maybe in some ways it won't be as representative, but it will bring stability to Hong Kong, which is what we need now? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, we do need stability, I completely agree. But by disenfranchising large swathes of the population, I don't know whether this is the way to go. I take the point that, you know, if you give the franchise to absolutely everyone and that this, this can lead to problems, and I certainly uh, uh, am not in favor of democracy that, that, is, that looks like this, I totally agree that the situation in Hong Kong for the last many years has not resulted in outcomes that we're happy with. But I also point out uh, 
that Lechko has failed to hold the government to account and that I am not very confident that this elite system, which is what uh, we're being told it is, is going to be any better. So citizens, they have, they have the need to participate fully in the politics of society. Most of us on this program are Chinese citizens. And so let's go is one way, the media is one way, civil society is one way. All of these things need to be robust and functioning. Okay, uh, a, a specific question, Mrs. Yip, uh, to you. This is from James, not from me. James says, uh, Regina, will you stand in the chief executive election? If not, who do you think would be better for Hong Kong going forward, Carrie Lam or C.Y. Lang or someone else? I really can't comment on, on this question, you know, <laughs> because Sir Carrie is my leader on the executive council. Uh, C.Y. is also my leader in some ways, you know, it's in, inappropriate to comment. On that, and I have not come to any decision yet. So it was a good question. <laughs> well, That's, listen an up. question. Yes. That's an interesting question. Will, will you stand for LegCo? Um, we are discussing it within our party. Generally, I would like to groom more young people to, to stand for LegCo. Okay. Uh, one, one more question from Anthony, uh, who says, Hi, Regina, do you think this election system can avoid leaders such as Donald Trump and Boris Johnson? We don't know, you know. You know, I think the central government and our officials have tried our best to devise a system that cure the ills of the past 20 years. But um, how it works out remains to be seen. I think the proof of the putting as in the eating, it really depends on whether the next LegCo would be able to work with the government to resolve our most pressing livelihood and other problems. Okay, well, Mrs. Yip, thank you very much indeed for joining us. The lawmaker member of the Executive Council, Chairwoman of the New People's Party. We'll continue the uh, discussion after the news at nine. Uh, keep emailing back, chat at rthk.hk. Also going to talk about corporate governance. The weather, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and some thunderstorms. 30 degrees now, humidity at 84%. What will it do for Israel's deterrence? How will we look in the eyes of our enemies? What will they say in Iran? What will they say in Gaza? What will they do in Iran and in Gaza? What will they say in the halls of government in Washington? You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat uh, this morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, what follows from the uh, electoral changes which have been approved by the uh, Legislative Council, expected to come into uh, effect today. We look forward to the actual uh, elections. Uh, we're talking them over with uh, Dr Eugene Chan, President of the Association of Hong Kong Professionals, and John Burns, Emeritus Professor, Honorary Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Eugenia also, who was joining us in the first part of the programme, also going to be talking later about uh, corporate governance and how to build a culture of good conduct uh, with an expert in fraud, bribery and uh, corruption investigations. Uh, okay, a couple of interesting uh, emails. First of all, one from Bowen. Uh, this is uh, reflecting on the letter to Hong Kong from uh, Alan Zeman, which was uh, aired yesterday, the last letter to Hong Kong, in fact. Uh, Bowen says, Alan Zeman's letter to Hong Kong is a potpourri of kindly encouragement to young people, some self-evident truths, and it also, unfortunately, contains a couple of ill-placed 
comments which are ultimately counterproductive and too racist to be acceptable now. He may be right in pointing to a future of the GBA which could provide opportunities for young people depending on how the present conflicts play out and the outlook of the young people concerned. As a veteran businessman, he could be relied upon to instinctively detect ways to help the F&B industry amid the and after the current COVID crisis. He was telling a truth which nobody would disagree with when he stressed the importance of Hong Kong's maintaining zero infections. And he was absolutely undoubtedly right in advising people to get vaccinated, not just for medical reasons, but also to help bring things back to normal. But he made a huge blunder in patronising Hong Kongers about, quote, how we must respect, not criticise, because we are Chinese after all. That is something we cannot deny, unquote. It might be added that he did so as a conclusion following a scathing one-sided portrayal of the protests in 2019, in which he complained about it complicating the geopolitical situation between East and West, as if Hong Kongers should worry about that and not about their own predicament. Just as Hong Kong Chinese, who have naturalised as Canadians for, say, 10 years or so, should not seek to lecture people who were born and grew up in Canada to remember they are Canadians, not Americans, and that free trade agreements with the US threatened to dilute Canadian culture, as John Turner warned in the 1988 federal election, Allen should not presume to teach people who are Chinese-born and bred about the characteristics of Chinese culture. They know its strengths and weaknesses better than he does. As I once sought to impress upon listeners, we are not bound by the race we were born into, believing that we are limits, believing that we are limit, being that we are, limits our growth and is the ultimate source of racism, as practiced by both the oppressors and the oppressed. That's from Bowen. Matthew says, on face values, Backchat's question related to today's electoral reform topics, such as will LegCo become more or less meaningful, how will it be held accountable, are patronising and insulting to the intelligence of listeners. I sincerely hope these were written with tongue-in-cheek and a clear-headed sense of irony. As I pointed out numerous times after these improvements, the electoral system is now a selection system owned and controlled solely by the CCP. Our LegCo and CE electoral, electoral processes are now the equivalent of mainland systems such as the MPC, hence the 42. To two vote. How would any genuinely informed person legitimise the NPC electoral system by asking how will it be held accountable? If Backchat really wants to take on the two topics for today of electoral system and good governance, how about a programme discussing the conviction of DAB chairwoman Starry Lee's former assistant and another DAB assistant for bribing people to vote for Vincent Cheng in a key by-election? Why has he not been removed from office? A back chat, you could discuss this topic with uh, Nixie Lam and some other DAB or pro-CCP guests. You could even invite regular back chat guest and DAB fanboy Alan Zeman to comment. Uh, on Facebook, uh, Sukin Lowe says, I hope the brighter future after the electoral change. Uh, Marcus says LegCo is as irrelevant as any unelected uh, administration is. There is absolutely no point uh, in it whatsoever as it has no power of decision. What a total waste of our tax money. Just look at its members, totally out of touch with the citizens of Hong Kong and childish idiots when interviewed. And TC says, I think most problems associated with democracy, uh, including this one with Hong Kong, can only be solved with more democracy. That's from TC. Right. Eugene, there's lots of fierce uh, criticism coming in there of these new arrangements. Uh, what do you say? I um, remain to be very positive. I mean, if you, I think let's look at, as a professional, we look at track record and evidence. Uh, look at the last few months when, although there's only the pro-establishment legislators in the council, you can see some of the questions they ask are actually more fierce than the pandemic uh, legislators before. But the most important is not what they ask and what they say in the electrical, 
most important whether they will influence the government. I think the government now must pull up their socks and really it's time to move on. Um, I have an open mind. I heard what uh, Professor Byrne said earlier. Um, no one can tell, but, I, but Hong Kong must move on, as I said earlier. Um, do, do, does anybody want to go back to the time when we go to, to, to walk in the street to worry about what color clothes you're wearing, which restaurant you can walk in, um, whether you can walk past any police uh, living quarters, you could, be, you could be attacked or you could be uh, hurt by walking around, or even take any transportation. I mean, it's, it's been terrible. And hopefully with this new system, we have a much better future. But the most important thing is get the right people in those seats. And hopefully we have a lot of professionals and business people and some other individuals who are willing to serve are now willing to come out and serve Hong Kong and let's give everybody a chance. That's my, my part of it. But the normal way of selecting those people is through open election and rather than selection. I totally agree. I went through selections, elections in my own uh, professional organizations uh, that give you the chance to tell what you want to do. But it, hasn't ha it didn't work in Hong Kong. And also, with the present arrangement, there's still 20 seats that will be selected or elected, elected by the people. So I think the war should be still be there. And mind you, before 1997, we had a similar system, and Hong Kong worked pretty well. So it's unfortunate we are going back we should be moving on, but this is what actually happened. So really, your, your point is that we've tried this other way, but at the end of the day, it didn't deliver. We always use the term to end justifies the means. And obviously, Hong Kong is way behind many aspects. I mean, not, not, most people aren't happy, are we? People who use the phrase, the ends justify the means, are normally bad people. <laughs> But, but what you're saying is we tried it and it, it didn't work. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So we have to find but, a new system. But we okay. haven't. Surely, if we're holding the government to account, one of the things is why is our vaccination rate still below 20 percent? It's extraordinary. Elsewhere in the world, people are fighting to get their hands on these vaccines. We're about to have a lot of vaccine that be, goes past its sell-by date. And actually, it's most ironical that they. Only one of the developers or businessmen have to pull, put a flat for, for lottery. Then people go in for the vaccination. This is unheard of anywhere in the world. I, I don't understand. And this is Hong Kong. So if we use the normal mindset to, to work for Hong Kong, it, it may not work. I don't know. John Burns, do you agree that something needed fixing? There was a problem. Absolutely, I agree. Something needed fixing. But, I mean, we're talking about accountability. And I must say that I am not very optimistic that choosing, you know, this elite selection system and getting the quote-unquote the right people is going to solve the problem either. I mean, we've seen how the government, uh, the, how uh, fragile and degraded the accountability system is. And remember, it isn't just LegCo. I mean, we have attacks on the media, we have attacks on civil society, and so I'm not very optimistic that this is the way to go. Do I agree that something needed to change? Absolutely, because uh, just as Eugene said, I mean, walking around on the streets in 2019 was uh, a nightmare for people. However, I mean, not uh, taking responsibility for the chaos in 2019. The government bears considerable responsibility for this. 
and and for police misbehavior during all of this time, I think is not a good start. Okay. Right. A couple more comments. Mike says, I disagree with Regina that Hong Kong is getting more and more anti-China. We're getting more and more anti-CCP. As with many other countries, you can disagree with the government without becoming anti-country. Example, you can have an anti-Biden or anti-Trump position, but that doesn't mean you're anti-America. Uh, and uh, Anthony says, uh, chief justices have been appointed by the governor for decades. Are they independent? That comes from Anthony. Yep. What do you think, Eugene? We, we've had this system of appointment for a long time. I, I can speak from my own experience. I have been appointed by the chief executives since the year 2004, from Mr. Tong, Mr. Chang, Mr. Leung, and Mrs. Lam. And with the people I've met in those advisory and statutory bodies, a lot of people are very sound individuals, and they give great comments. It's a pity that our government didn't listen, or maybe they have the limitations. Obviously, there's a communication issue. There's a reason why I'm saying we must uh, elect and select the right people into the system, and hopefully it will work. I, I, I agree yes. with Professor Burns that we don't know what's going to happen. It, it may not be the word accountable. However, we have to move on. We have to try something. At least the government, the central government, hasn't given up on Hong Kong. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but those, which is very unlikely, uh, but <laughs> the, uh, th those advisory committees, the network of advisory committees, which is pretty extensive in Hong Kong, yeah, and you've, yes. you've served on, on very many of them. Yes, I th did. They were a colonial uh, invention, uh, essentially, and, and they were a way to, to uh, co-opt the, the uh, opposition to uh, involve uh, opinion makers and leaders in, in particular areas uh, to get them involved in, in, in the system of, of government. And, and the strength of them was that they, were, they, they weren't rubber stamps, that there were experts and they would have frank exchange of views in those committees and so on. So that, you could say that's a model for effective governance, but that's what's completely being ignored in the Legislative Council. Uh, because they, everyone will have to be, everyone will have to be triple, triple, uh, triple screened by Beijing, uh, by the police, uh, by the uh, by the chief executive, and by the administration, and will then have to be approved by every one of the five sectors uh, in in the uh, in the election committee. Even that, even that, uh, even that process. Never mind the electoral election. Even the screening process is so extensive that you're not going to get honest. Uh, differences of views. You're going to be losing all those advantages which the network of consultative committees brought to the colonial administration. Um, I have to agree with you when you say it in that way. Yes, I think it, it is very restrictive. However, I think like all system, it has to start somehow. Let's see how. I mean, let's wait and see. Who are, the, who are the ones going to be the, the legislators? And maybe the system will relax and relax further and further. And most important thing is, whoever wants to serve Hong Kong, it doesn't matter what camp they're in, they have to prove their worth. Right. Eugene, I have a specific question for you. Yes. Supposing a candidate comes forward and says, look, obviously there was a breakdown of trust between people and the police force in the second half of 2019 yes. and the first part of 2020. The best way of clearing the air is to set up an independent, a fully independent judicial inquiry that people give evidence under oath so we can get to the bottom of this and, and, and nail it for once and for all. Would that person pass vetting by the police force? Um, you're, you're saying the commission of inquiry? You, uh, you... Uh, no, a candidate for LegCo right. has part of his platform 
advocates the creation of a commission of inquiry to look into relations. Of course, it should be. I think the commission, um, if you allow me to say something, I interviewed uh, uh, um, um, Dr. Anthony Neal for, for the straight talk for tomorrow night. Right. We said exactly that. Why wasn't a commission of inquiry done? Because according to uh, Anthony, he was saying to me, because the whole matter hasn't finished. Maybe now, after everything is cleared up, is now is the right time to do it. To now it's calmed down. Yes, it calmed down because things were developing. How can you find out what actually happened when it's still happening? That's a very fair comment. So I would say whoever has advocating that, I think should have, he has a heart for Hong Kong, he should be um, seriously considered. Professor Burns, I mean, what about this argument? Yeah, it worked for the, the, the colonial administration. Why can't we do it now? Do the same kind of thing. Why so Eugene, Eugene has put his finger on the issue, that is to say we have, we have all these sorts of problems, social problems, political problems, economic problems, and these are left over from colonialism, I would say. This is the system that it produced. I do not see elites uh, appointed to LegCo as going to shake up the system, say, of public finance, housing, and land or lack of a sustainable public health care system. These are all vested interests, and the vested interests will just continue the way they have in the past without the fundamental change that Hong Kong needs. Uh, may, may I join one comment, uh, Professor Burns? Um, if, you, if, I, uh, if I have read correctly, with the upcoming um, the, the, uh, legical, legislative makeup, it's going to be by a, a wide representation of different people. It may not be the elites alone. I mean, it depends on who you classify as elites. There are people from the grassroots, from the labor, from different sectors. So hopefully that will address your concern. I, I agree with you. Elites should be there, but it shouldn't only the only people there. It doesn't work. Actually, I'm talking, not, I'm talking about elites in the sense of they're chosen through this very complex vetting system, and all the sharp edges will have been reduced, will have been taken off. They will, you know, to get through the vetting system, you have to uh, basically agree with the party. I haven't mentioned this so far, party uh, policies on this. And if you... Um, so I'm not so optimistic. Eugene, you're an optimist. I'm a pessimist. <laughs> this is what makes it interesting. This is Hong uh, Kong, isn't it? it? If, if you are right and I am wrong, wow, I congratulate you and I will be pleasantly surprised. Dr. Chan, the other, just before you go, the, the, the other thing is that this, this might kind of work if you were designing a system from scratch, but of course you're not. Uh, you are you are effectively removing the franchise from from people in in Hong Kong. You're taking away a power that they had in the past. Now, what do you expect the reaction from those people will be? If you if you have the power to do something and then that is taken away, that itself has an impact, doesn't it? It is indeed. I think a lot of people whom I had a chat this morning before I come in, I asked them the same question. They said to me, they're not interested because it's, it's got nothing to do with me anymore. In the past, you used to go and vote and you used to choose your candidate. Now you don't. It's unfortunate, I have to say, but as I said earlier, it's, this is what happens. Is this going to impact then on turnout in the election? The number of people willing to stand and the number of people willing to vote? 
I don't have a crystal ball, but the concern is there. I had the same concern. Let's wait and see. Because, I mean, Hong Kong people is a very interesting breed, as I said earlier. Who would want you? Everybody would love to go and get jab immediately to protect themselves. And now everyone's staying at home. Uh, it's interesting you said it's unfortunate, but this is what happens. Does that kind of sum up the, these electoral arrangements? Um, that, that, uh, right. I hear this from a lot of people, to be honest, is it amounts to, well, look what happened in 2019. Uh, so, yeah, it's unfortunate, but this is what we've got to have. Is that right? Um, as Professor Penn said earlier, I, I, am a very, I am an optimistic person. Um, it is very unfortunate that all the incidents we had to go through in, in, in 2019 and early part of 2020, um, this is the end result, and hopefully we move on. And give me, uh, just before I, I leave the show, I just want to say, as a, as a, as a, as a, a healthcare practitioner, look at the medical function of the constituency. We used to have a medical doctor or a dentist, there was a sector, in the last 20-odd years. In the next election, you may not get a voice from either medical or a dental practitioner because our seat is going to be so widely represented that we've got uh, um, uh, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, Chinese doctors, chiropractors, etc., etc. I mean, we have, we have less representation, so is it good or bad? So it's up to each individual to say. Okay, well, many thanks for, for joining us. Uh, Dr. Eugene Chan, there, President of the Association of Hong Kong Professionals, and uh, John Burns, Emeritus Professor, Honorary Professor in the Department of Public Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Bowen says the main flaw in Eugene Chan's argument is that he ascribed the need to changing our electoral system to it not working in the past. The reason we had so many problems with governance in the past can be ascribed to wrong policy decisions and the government's recalcitrance and stubbornness in hanging on to them. The best example is the extradition bill. What Eugene said amounts to saying the government can use its own failure as the reason to make the selective process for choosing legislators more restrictive. That is uh, from Bowen. Uh, and a couple of uh, emails on the question of uh, vaccination uh, and uh, uh, medical issues. Uh, let's see. Um, Tony says, it's your choice to take the vaccine. You saying I should not have a choice not to take the vaccine. Double standards. Um, uh, Jim, sorry, can't edit that in time. Uh, Tony also says, Mike, I don't want to take the vaccine because of politics. That's responding, I think, to Mike's earlier message. Anthony says, it's like a seesaw. When the epidemic is well contained, people don't feel the need, the urge to get vaccinated. Only when the situation is disastrous will people rush for vaccinations. Just look at Britain and America when they suffered so much from Donald Trump and Boris Johnson's marvellous epidemic measures. Uh, and uh, John says, a wonderful advance in coronavirus policy, truly revolutionary, Hong Kong on the forefront of better treatment. The latest exemptions from quarantine requirements are announced by the SFC for vaccinated bankers. With this, the investment banker Jet Set Stooges join the ranks of the party stooges, e.g. CY Lung, in escaping from mandatory quarantines. How appropriate. Uh, thanks very much indeed for, for those uh, comments. Backchat at rthk.hk uh, once again is our email address. One more comment from uh, Matthew relating to our discussion, I think, on Friday, who says the eSports segment then was more like a one-sided advertorial for the addictive video game industry rather than genuine Backchat topic with a classic PR model where the industry funds and uses an independent-sounding association and spokesperson along with funding quasi-independent university research to promote itself and its interests. 
In the absence, in the interest of uh, transparency, can Backchat please clarify if the so-called eSports Association of Hong Kong, Mr. Eric Yang and or the Baptist University study have and funding or other connection to the video game industry? That is uh, from Matthew. Thank you very much indeed for that. I don't know about the Baptist University study. I think they usually uh, declare sources uh, on that. I haven't, I haven't looked that up. But uh, Matthew, of course, the eSports Association of Hong Kong uh, promotes eSports and says good things about eSports. They're not <laughs> an independent body. Um, that's what they're there for. Well, they are a, a, a not-for-profit. But, of course, we're going to get the boosting of eSports from the eSports uh, Association. Uh, finally, today, with the time now just approaching uh, 25 past nine, we wanted to turn to the issue of uh, corporate governance. The uh, Stock Exchange recently uh, proposed enhancement to uh, governance codes, corporate governance codes, uh, highlighting the importance of uh, corporate uh, culture. We're joined now by Chris Forder, Managing Director of Virus and Marcel's Disputes and Investigations Team uh, uh, in Asia. He specialises in investigations of fraud, bribery and corruption, as well as corporate risk and compliance practice. Uh, Mr Fordham, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, you've, you've talked about the, the idea of, uh, of culture, of a, a culture of uh, compliance uh, within companies. What, what does that mean? What does that amount to? So, uh, a culture of compliance is essentially doing the right thing. So um, compliance should form an integral part of all decision-making processes. Um, obviously, you know, decisions can be, are going to be risk-based, but we want people to ensure that when they approach risk, they do so from the, the side of ethics as well. Now, the, the idea of embedding ethics into decision-making as well as in measurement of performance of individuals is a key step forward in, in assuring that uh, you know, compliance and corporate governance are underpinned by strong culture. Mm. This sounds, uh, good morning, this sounds very much like the early days of the ICAC back in 1974 and the creation of a, a community relations department to sort of promote the idea of not being corrupt and the corruption prevention department the idea of putting in systems in place that would cause corruption opportunities to surface as well as just the enforcement angle it, have we moved on from 1974 yeah we're moving on because of course we're, talk, we're talking a lot about culture so the, the new proposals are to introduce a code provision that require issuers to set culture in alignment with their purpose, value, and strategy. Now, culture is not something you can touch. You know, it's a, uh, it's a serial issue. So you have to define it. Um, and obviously, yes, we're, we're still dealing with the issues of tone at the top and tone from the top. Of course, it, it leads management uh, to, to provide leadership, but also the involvement of the independent board. It then needs to be reinforced through messaging, yeah, and that, that can be as simple as ensuring that you, you have timely messages, you know, posters on the wall, etc. The critical thing, of course, is, is, is measuring it. And that's where we, we, uh, you know, we, we think we have moved on. There are ways in which you can try to measure culture, because if you, you can't measure it, you can't find out whether it's working well enough or whether you need to improve on it. Right. You know, companies are introduced to new risks all the time. COVID is one of them, obviously, which puts stress on, on compliance and on culture. So how do, how do organisations measure that is critical to being ensure that they can respond with a strong culture. Is, how, how, how do you do it then, in short? <laughs> yes, well, 
there's a, there's a number of different ways. I mean, each way is going to have some difficulties and some weaknesses. You know, clearly, you can conduct surveys of staff, but staff tend to respond in the way they're expected. They, to they'll respond. tell you what they what they think they want. You want, yeah, yeah. Go exactly. On. Well, you can you can you survey a staff when they leave an organisation, but then they may, of course, uh, not tell you exactly the truth or things that are difficult to find. So you you have to combine methods. Training is very important, and a sort of experiential type training where you you embed culture into that training and make people understand how risk decisions are being made from a cultural point of view. You can measure adherence and you can measure understanding. And obviously, obviously, one looks at the compliance frameworks and the policies themselves to make sure that they're clear and easy to navigate. Right. Is there a role here for whistleblowers? So, sorry? Is there a role here for whistleblowers? Is there enough protection for them? Okay, so it's, it's often been discussed that the, there is no overriding law that protects whistleblowers in Hong Kong, but that doesn't stop organizations from establishing that themselves. Many organizations have whistleblowing policies anyway, but um, they, they need to review on a regular basis as to whether those whistleblowing policies are being used. It's all very well establishing it, but if it's not being used properly, and then to understand why employees are not comfortable with using it. So com companies can set out themselves to ensure that there are policies which ensure anonymity, confidentiality, and uh, freedom from retaliation. But the, the, a prominent bank, as I recall from the media, had uh, had such a policy in place, but then the CEO set out to try and identify who the whistleblower was. I have worked with organisations that also have sought to try and investigate who the whistleblower is, but uh, they are not the ones that successfully deal with the issues. The ones that deal with are able to incorporate you know, the freedom um, from uh, retaliation into their policies that the staff actually have uh, trust in. Uh, can you help me out here? Because uh, we do uh, civil service reports, and a few years ago they introduced another category. You know, we mark according to these various uh, 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 criteria, and they added another one, which is ethical standards. And you, so you sort of, you know, you, you mark on aspects of their performance in, under these various categories, and, and they've just added, as I say, ethical. Now, this is, it's kind of on another level, isn't it? It's another dimension. I guess so I've got to put, we have to pause every time we, we mark someone on their ethical standards. It's hard to pin down, isn't it? And also, it seems like a kind of personal thing. It's very, and it's very hard to say that somebody doesn't have um, high ethical standards. How, how, you know, do you understand that that uh, that, that issue? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, on performance review, I think it's important to have that sort of matrix view. But you're not just assessing people on their ability to, let's say, generate revenues in sales, but they've approached it in, an, in a way which uh, mitigates risk through ethical conduct in, in the way in which they've acted. They, they haven't um, put the organisation into danger through their actions. Mm. People who grow sales in unethical ways might score highly for performance. Yes, in, in, a, in a single, if, if that's the only score, that's the danger. And then, of course, when you, your first question is, what is, the, what is culture? Well, the, unfortunately, the other type of culture is a culture of fraud, where individuals see that bad behavior is going unpunished. Uh, either they decide to, well, if it's okay for them, it's okay for me and do the same, or simply leave. You know, what we've seen, of course, is that um, a strong culture uh, backing up corporate governance is, um, uh, helps to protect shareholder value and meet stakeholder expectations. Mm. 
Mm. Well, Chris Alder, many thanks for, for joining us. Managing Director of Virus and Marcel's Disputes and Investigations team uh, in Asia. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Well, another, another great show. And at least we didn't have to discuss the virus this time. No, we'll <laughs> save that. I know we'll save you on a Monday morning, give you something different to chew over. Uh, the weather, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. Hot temperatures up to 32 degrees today. There will be occasional heavy showers and thunderstorms tomorrow. And the showers will ease off on Wednesday and on Thursday. 30 Celsius now, relative humidity, 86%. The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. Four or more person households can submit applications from now until the 31st of May. Old applicant households should reply to confirm eligibility after receiving letters. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666. 9.32, the news.